you know, we've been reading this section of the Revelation where John is, is trying to help us understand what are these, these two beasts. And we started off by just realizing that the word beast doesn't mean a monster. These are, these are people, right? But a, a beast is something that's subordinated to its, its owner, okay? So when I came in yesterday and we had all the comfort dogs uh, uh, starting their training, one of the first lessons I was just kind of listening in had to do with this, this idea of what, what is alpha? You know, what does it mean for a dog to, to, to think I'm, I'm alpha in, in a pack? And part, part, part of that must apply to um, how you train a, train a dog to, to understand that you, you actually are, are alpha. My dog has not learned that yet. It's a, it, it really believes it is alpha, right? So I'm thinking, well, it's a beast, right? And the beast is underneath the subor subordinated to the, the owner who is, is the, the alpha, okay? So the same thing is true here, is the term beast is not meant to think of, help us think about some scary creature, but to think about people, and in this case, institutions that are subordinated to the dragon, all right? So if, if you think of the biblical war that's going on, it's a war for souls. <clears throat> At the end of chapter 12, uh, it was spelled out for us very clearly that, that the dragon is after one thing. He's going off to make war with the souls, the people who are the offspring of, of the, the woman, right? So um, as we watch this war take place, the, the dragon has his, his beasts, his subordinates. One of the beasts we talked about is kind of a political beast. So you're going to see over a broad period of history, politicians and political systems, ideologies that rise up that are really under the control of Satan and their intention is what? K killing the offspring of the child, subordinating it. Um, we've seen it throughout history and I think we're watching a little bit of it take place in our world today. The second beast, we said, is, is not political in nature, it's spiritual in nature. Uh, it's, it's the equivalent of what we read early on in Revelation of the white horse. Looks good, right? Looks like a lamb, speaks like a dragon. Okay, Looks like the good guy is actually associated with or under the control of the bad guy. And, and my contention is, even, even within Christendom, <clears throat> a lot of Christian churches today, when I listen to the teachings that are going on inside of them, that quick I can tell you, dragon, 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 dragon. Look like a lamb. What you're speaking is not what Jesus Christ taught. And uh, so we looked last week at a couple of scriptures that I think are important, especially for our kids and grandkids. What does it mean to test the words that are being spoken even inside the church and know whether they are of God or not of God. Are they dragon words or are they the words of, of Jesus Christ? Okay. Um, turn on the TV Thursday and what do you have an example of? Well, you know, depending upon your, your, your nomenclature, you were watching this incident unfold right in Paris. And um, right away... You know, you've got your newscasters who are focusing on the, the external of what's going on. Uh, they're talking about, oh my goodness, this many people got shot, and, and who, are these, who are these terrorists, okay? And um, we're all kind of glued to the televisions watching, my goodness, how many people got killed. We're thinking, aren't we kind of thinking, at least 
somewhere in the back of our mind, could this happen in America? Okay. Um, some of the broadcasters, they were asking that question. They introduced kind of a new word into the drama that we've been watching now since 2011. And the new, the new term that was introduced this week was the term soft target. Did you notice that? Okay. And what they were trying to do is make a distinction between what, what our homeland security has been paying attention to, hard targets. We know that terrorists would love to strike here and here and here and here. Soft targets, what they're saying to us, if you really listen, is that's the places that you move about and live. It's your grocery store. It's the mall. It's, um, you know, the, the, the theater or the concert hall. Uh, it's, it's downtown New York, you know, uh, Times Square. That's soft target. And if you listen to the, to the uh, newscasters, what they're saying is, oh, my goodness gracious, we got no chatter, right? So we didn't even know this was going to happen. We, they hit soft targets. Just a few people killed a lot of people. And so what, we, what are we going to do? All right? I'm watching that, and I'm thinking about the revelation because John actually kind of spoke these words uh, or, or gave us these words thousands of years ago. He said, here's what the beast is. It, it, when it comes to Islam, and um, I'm glad to, to hear that there are, are some people that are beginning to actually t today use better language. Um, today, for the first time, I started to hear words like this, yihad, radical Islam. Okay, So, when you, when you take Islam, is it, is it part of this? Absolutely. Why? Because it, it plays out the marks of the beast. You have a political system, right? Islam is a political system, which believes that God is at the top of the food chain. He is the one in control. Underneath God are the caliphate, which about 15, 20 years ago, our political leaders here in America said, will never be established again in all of history. The caliphate has been reestablished within radical Islam. Can't happen, has already happened, okay? Um, today, some broadcasters are actually starting to say that. Oh my goodness, the caliphate has been reestablished. And so you have, you have I Islam as a political system, but guess what else it is? A religious system, right? The two come together in Islam to form what I like to call an unholy trinity. Interesting, especially in light of what we're going to talk about today. An unholy trinity. Allah, right? The words of the Quran. The, uh, the, the, the law, all right? Um, that we're going to live underneath, and yihad, the sword, that's going to happen if you don't live underneath that. Unholy Trinity Islam. Is it being pictured here? Absolutely. It, it, John didn't know there's going to be an Islam, but what God was telling him is these beasts will rise up and they will serve, they will serve the dragon. Okay? Why, why is Islam intent upon killing Christians? in particular, Christians, because you stand against our religion, right? 
And so we're going to strike all those, all those places that uh, will have uh, Christians in them, take them out, along with Jews, right? Because um, we're going to establish ourselves as the, the, the reigning political religious system on planet Earth. Now, here's what broadcasters are starting to get right. They're starting to get some of their language right. Islam is a religion, right? Within that religion, you have radicals, and you have moderates, and you have what I'm going to call nominalists. Radical Islamics are people who are actively engaging in jihad today. They have a plan and an intent, and they're carrying it out in the world. What we just saw happen in Paris, not kind of coincidental, not accidental, very much a part of a plan. Okay? Their plan is very spelled out. Read it. We're going to take America down. We're going to take Israel down. Syria is the place where Armageddon, according to the Quran, is to take place. And we are going to cause Armageddon to take place on earth so that we can become the reigning power. Right? That's radical Islam. Make no mistake about it, their intent is to do exactly what happened in Paris, in America. There's been an ongoing war in, in Israel, right, for ages. And so that's radical Islam, all right? Moderate Islam. Mo moderate Islam uh, is made up of a lot of people who... They read the Quran. They, we're going to worship Allah. Um, we believe that yihad is right. We think it's good that you're carrying this stuff out. It's about time. Somebody flew planes into the towers and, and shot up people and killed people. But we're, we're not actively doing that ourselves. Okay? E either of these a peaceful religion? <clears throat> not really. Then you have your nominalists. Nominalists, uh, I'll put it, let me put it, put it another way. You have nominalists and reformers. Nominalists are people who, within the, the, the broad spectrum of Islam, would say, well, we're, we're Islamic, I'm, I'm Muslim, but I'm not really active in anything. Okay? A lot of, of kids uh, living in America today that are part of Islamic homes are nominalists. They, they really don't know what the Quran teaches or what it stands for, all right? Um, they're, they're the same as what we, we would refer to when I was growing up as, that person is a good Catholic, okay? And that person would say, I am a good Catholic. What does that mean? Well, I go to church every Christmas and Easter, right? And I try to do live my life all right, you know? So anomalous Islamists would say, well, I try to live in a way that would please Allah, <clears throat> but I'm not actively pursuing, you know, faith. I'm not listening to uh, imams. Um, we're just an Islamic family. We move from one part of the world into this part of the world, and we retain that, that name, Islam. There are also reformers. Reformers are people who would say, we think that, that the, the teachings of Islam, the interpretations of the Quran, need to be reformed in such a way that we, we are not going to be a religion that takes up yihad and goes and kills people in order to subjugate. Okay? So there, there are some within the, the context of the whole that are, that are actually re trying to reform Islam. 
they get killed by the radical Islamists, right? So Islamists are killing Islamists because you're trying to reform our work. My point today, okay, last week we were talking about this, this beast. And we were saying that this beast will cause you to receive the mark of the beast either upon your forehead and upon your, or upon your right hand. And that if you don't receive that upon your forehead or your right hand, you cannot buy or sell. Remember that? So we said two things last week. So the mark that's being received, it's not a physical mark. It's not a, here, we're putting this on your forehead or in your hand. It's not, um, we're going to put a microchip under your head. It's symbolic, right? Why? Because when you became a slave in this period of time, it, it was very much the, the uh, process that you would receive either upon your forehead or your right hand a physical mark. You, you are a slave to so-and-so, right? And the only way out of slavery is you've got to buy your way out of slavery. Interesting, okay? Um, so what we're talking about is when to receive that mark of the beast means that I am I'm owned by the beast. I belong to them, right? I belong to who? Satan. Put it in very physical terms. Islam comes sweeping in. Is it their intent to say, if you do not subjugate to us, we will cut off you, you, your, your country economically? You cannot buy or sell unless you are subjugated to us. Absolutely. That's their goal. It's why we're going to attack hard targets in America that affect your what? Economy. It's why I believe the next wave of, of war, all right, we're, we're going to try to scare you, keep you from going to your malls, keep you from going to your concerts, right? That hits the economy, doesn't it? A little bit. And then guess what we're going to do? We're working really, really hard to blow up your internet system so that everything that's tied to your economy goes crashing down all in one major blow. Okay? And so that's, that's a in stated intention of radical Islam today. We will determine who buys and sells. And so when you look at history, uh, today we're seeing radical Islam. But over the course of history, we've seen other regimes, right, both political and spiritual, that have risen up, that have done the exact same thing. Okay? Uh, if I take the Guinness World Book of Record. And I look through it, and I, I'm going to discover what's the name of the greatest mass murderer in history. Mao Zedong. He's in the Guinness World Book. Why did he kill all these people? Christians particularly. Why? Because you will subjugate to my way of thinking. Was it religious? Yes. Atheist. You will not have a God. The government is God. Does that sound like the beast? Absolutely. And so, and, and, and by the way, you will not buy or sell outside of what we tell you you can do. You're, you're slaves to us, all right? So um, when you're looking at all of this and reading the Bible, the, the problem that I'm seeing is when I turn on my television, the, the, the announcer does a good job of telling me how many people got shot and what's going on. He does not tell me this is, this is actually a spiritual war for souls. And the question then becomes, how, how do we as, as the body of Christ 
re respond? Do we run away from it? Do we live in a scary way? No. We live in the confidence of, of faith. The people who received these words the first, the first time they were read, they're living underneath a beast. It's called Rome. Rome has cut off the world economically. Unless you do as Rome commands, there's no buying or no selling, right? These people are, many of them are slaves. You remember in Rome, about 80% of the population at the time that this is being written, 80%, eight out of every 10 people you meet on the street is a slave. They're owned by someone. And so what, what John is saying is, yes, but in Jesus Christ, you become free spiritually so that if Rome kills you, guess what? Your soul belongs to Jesus Christ and you are set free. Live inside of that confidence. The second thing that John is calling the church to do is what? Go hide in fear? Uh-uh. Go take the gospel right into the midst of it all. All right? So I was telling John this week, I was watching an interview. It's really an inter interesting interview of a pastor and his wife who are the, uh, they represent the only legal Christian church in Saudi Arabia. And um, so they're right in the heart of things. The government there is doing what the government in China is doing. They're saying, okay, we're going to allow you to exist and to do what you do, but under our thumb. Okay? So this pastor and his wife, uh, what we know about, you know, Saudi Arabia, um, you know, 27 million people living in it. About 7 million are expatriates. About 1.7 million of them are Christians. Well, you've got one pastor for 1.7 million people. That's not, probably not going to work, right? There's a lot of underground Christianity going on. His is above ground, and the government allows it to, to exist. They started their church in a compound. It grew so fast, guess what happened? The compound says you have to leave. You're threatening to us. So they got another site that they're now able to, to, to worship and operate in. And when they interviewed these two things, these two people, this husband and this wife, the wife was really honest. Am I scared? Yes. Do we see people being killed all the time? <laughs> oh, yes. Is there an economic advantage if you are Islamic? This was interesting to me. In Saudi Arabia, what the Islamics have done is created an economic system where if you're not part of Islam and you're not tied specifically to an expat corporation that's paying you American or European wages, if you're Saudi Arabian, you will be penalized dramatically, economically, unless you convert and become Islamic. You become a Christian, you will suffer economically. It's very plain, very evident what's going on. So, so all of this stuff is not just like science fiction monsters, it's people and political systems and religious spiritual systems that the dragon controls. Risen up, alive and well in our world today, and as America, what is our response? I don't believe fear, but I do believe, in another sense, fear of God. And to fear God is to say, we, we know to whom we belong, we are held on to by this God in the midst of everything going on. When, and I'm not going to say if, I'm going to say when, when soft targets begin to be hit here in America and people don't know what to do and the stock market goes like that 
and everybody panics, okay, we ought to be the voice of all the voices in our world today, standing up and saying, there is freedom to live the way that God has called us to live in Jesus Christ. It's Martin Luther who sings, take thee my good, my fame, my, my, my life, let all these be done. One thing yet remains, my soul, right, belongs to Jesus Christ. All right, let's, let's shift gears and go right to the end of um, Revelation 13 and talk a little bit about this, this mark of the beast because it's, all, it's always captured people's imaginations. Okay, so at the end of verse 17, it says, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. The, way it's, the, why, the why behind writing it that way is, is in ancient times, slaves would either have a number stamped on them, right? Um, or they would have a name stamped upon them, okay? So that I knew to whom you belonged. Um, now, I love the way that verse 18 reads. This calls for wisdom, all right? Now, I'm going to show you this because <clears throat> I think it's significant. When I read this in my Greek Bible, here's the way it reads, Hode hei Sophia esten, okay? So I literally translate it, this is wisdom. Okay, so in my English Bible, it says this calls for wisdom. The ancient language just says, just says it this plainly. This is wisdom. Stop there for just a minute. What John's going to try to do is help us understand what is this number of the beast? What does it point to? He's saying to us, it's going to require wisdom for you to understand this. What is wisdom? In the Bible, there's two kinds of wisdom. There's snake wisdom. And there's Holy Spirit wisdom. Okay. So one day Jesus is talking to his disciples and he gives them some really good advice. Advice that the church ought to take even to this day. He says the church ought to be as wise as snakes but as gentle as doves. Why did he say that? Well, because Jesus is looking around at the world and he's saying snake wisdom, snake wisdom works in the economic world pretty well, right? So snake wisdom is our world today. Um, it's our economy today. It's, it's, it's a, a, a sense in which our world studies us, understands us, and can get us to do crazy things with our money and our time. Snake wisdom works. Okay. When I look at a family and a family makes a decision, I am going to get myself in trouble. <laughs> Rod, I always think, I'm like, should I get myself in trouble or not? Okay. Rod says it's okay. When I think of a family and I think, okay, what is a family? You know, God's, God's brought this group of people together, right, to, to serve one another towards the end. Okay. Part of my job, husband, wife, we need to know that, that our marriage is about getting ready for the marriage that's going to take place. All right, husband, wife, mom, dad, how do I help my kids understand you're in the world, you're not of the world, but you're for the world. We're going to live like missionaries. In our neighborhood, in our community, that's how we're going to live. Because that's how God called us. We're going to make decisions the way God called us. Our priorities are going to look different. You are going to be mad at us as a family quite often because we're going to make decisions you won't like. When... When somebody comes along and says, we want you to be part of a, of a sports system that will take you out of worship. 
for an extended period of time. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, don't forsake yourselves this gathering together. I got to make a choice. Snake wisdom has made it hard for me as a Christian living in the world today to say no to that. My child is captured by snake wisdom because snakes are really good at making you, you think you have to do this. This is a must. And so guess what? We make decisions that's, that snakes have thought about because snake wisdom works. Same thing happens with our money. Okay? We're, we're doing our, our, our tithe work right now. And, uh, and we're, we're, we're leading up to taking a tithe challenge. Here's what I know. A lot of Christians in our world today, quite honestly, just being honest, would look at me and say, it would be impossible for me to tithe. I'm like, why? Because I already am tithing to MasterCard, to the bank, to the Chevy dealership. I'm tithing, right? In fact, more than tithing. I don't have it. We're stuck in debt, huge debt, right? So snake wisdom, does it work? Absolutely. Okay, so Jesus comes along and says, hey, church, guess what? You should be as wise as snakes. Think about, think about snake wisdom. But don't be like them. You're called to be as gentle as doves. There's a different kind of wisdom that we live by. We, right, are called to live by the wisdom that belongs to the Holy Spirit. And it does cause us to make different decisions and to set different priorities and to do things that the world looks at and says, that's crazy. And we say, yes, it's exactly what God has called us to do. It's how he's called us to, to live in this world for the sake of the gospel and the marriage that, that is to come. Hode he Sophia Esten. You can't figure out the number of the beast apart from wisdom. It's just a number to you, right? Um, so under wisdom, under the spirit, let him show you what this number actually represents. That's what he's saying. Um, second half of that verse. This is wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. Okay, this is kind of interesting. Uh, I'll come back to the Greek. Let the one who, who has wisdom calculate the number of the beast. Well, um, the Greek word for, for, for calculate is sophisato. We get our English word sophisticate from that, that uh, verb. All right? So if I put it in really raw language, I would say, this is wisdom. Let the one who has understanding sophisticate the number of the beast. Okay? Why does he say it that way? Well, to sophisticate, you know, we usually attach the term sophisticated to what? Somebody who's smarter than someone else, right? Or somebody who's advanced and they live in a higher class and they're, so they're sophisticated. They look a certain way. They're sophisticated. The actual Greek meaning of it is what? It's not living above, above your culture or being smarter than your culture. Sophisticated means I'm living according to the wisdom of God. When the word shows up in the Bible, I'm living above worldly thinking. That's so why when I turn on my TV, I'm like, worldly thinking. I look at this and I'm like, those doggone radical Islamists, 
sophisticated thinking, there's a battle going on for souls. It's a war for souls. There's a beast at work. It's under the dominion of the dragon. Okay? See the difference? So that's what he's saying is, this is wisdom. Let he who has understanding calculate or sophisticate the number of the beast. Next thing he says is four is what? The number of a man. I'm really glad he says that. Because what he's doing is he's helping us put everything that we've read into context. He's saying this, this whole thing is not about some weird, strange creature. It's about men, right? I like to look at it this way when he says this number is the number of a man. Here's the way you can look at that. It's the number of a man in one period of time and a man in another period of time and a man in another period of time and a man in another period of time. All of these symbols are meant to be brought. They represent political, spiritual entities over an extended period of time leading up to the very end. I believe that the, the focus on this particular man is taking us towards what? The beginning of the half a time. Who will be that man or that political religious system during that last period of time? Who will that be? That's where John is taking us with these words. Now he gives us the number. This number is 666. Fun thing to do sometime at a party. Because I know you guys party here at Grand, Grand Island, party town. Sometime have a, ha, at a party, a good, kind of a good conversation start, starter is, hey, do you have any good 666 stories? You got any good 666 stories? Most people have, you know, most people have some. They're like, uh, oh, yeah, you know, I went to the lottery and I got a ticket. It's like 666. I burned it. You know, I'm not going to do that. Um, probably one of my favorite 666 stories, true story. Uh, I went with a group of guys to a Promise Keeper event, you know, back when that was going on. So we get, it was in Colorado, we get to, the, to this huge place and you pull in the parking lot and uh, the parking lot is jammed. I mean, there's just cars everywhere and you got to drive a long ways out to park. So we're driving and, and all of a sudden we're like, wait, there's a spot right there. You know, we start to pull in it, six, 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 what? <laughs> group of pastors and out one car is parking in that spot right <laughs> so uh so what is 666 um the question that a lot of people ask is are we are we dealing here with what is called gamatria okay so gamatria is a literary technique in by which you take you take numbers uh that are assigned to letters in an alphabet and you you basically create a code word right? So is 666 gematria? Is it a code word? If it is, then you have people just trying to figure out what, what persons in history align with those three numeric values if you use an alphabet, okay? So there are some people who try to get Nero to fit into that category. Oh, Nero, if you look up Gamatri, he's pretty, he's pretty close to that. We think Nero is, is that beast, okay? Probably a lot of people living in the time that they read the Revelation are trying to do that. We're going to make him, him the beast. Um, doesn't really fit. Doesn't really fit, okay? Um, another writer of recent, 
And I think this is kind of interesting. I, I don't subscribe to this because I don't think that 666 is Gematria. Uh, it, it kind of, that, it's apocalyptic, which is different. All right. But this is interesting to me. Somebody said, hey, what if we just took the Hebrew alphabet and we played with it, right? And we said it's Aleph, Beth, Gimoth, Daleth, Hey. Look familiar? You type it pretty often. www dot what? <laughs> it's significant to me that you have a group of people, radical Islam, aimed at doing what? Taking that. Blow it up. Shatter the economy. Really interesting to me. Now, do I subscribe to that? Oh, here's the beast. The number of the beast is that. No, because it's, it's the number of a man. Political systems, religious systems, people that will point at, doesn't matter who the person is because they really belong to the dragon. So what is 666? Very, very simply, all of the numerology in the book of Revelation is, is meant to do what? It's meant to help you know, point to persons and physical realities that extend over a long period of time, from Jesus' birth to that time we enter into the half a time and, and, and reach the end. So what is 666? It's, it's, it's really a contrast to this, all right? So if you were to write the number of Jesus, his number would be seven, right? If you take a trinity of sevens and you just subtract one, what you have is really a, a beautiful picture of what 666, I believe, represents. It represents the unholy trinity, right? It represents one who desires to sit in the place of God, which the beast does, one who operates as though they are God, but they are not. Thus, 666 equates perfectly with the very first image that we, just, that, that we, that we read when we see the second beast. Looks like a lamb speaks like a dragon, wants to be God, is not God, always falls short of perfection. So ultimately, 666 points to who? Satan himself. Points right to the dragon. Who wears his number? Everyone who belongs to him. Actually, you can't see it. I can't see it on your forehead. I can't see it on your wrist. But if you belong to Satan, if you're owned by him, if you're his slave, you have the number 666 on you. Why? Because you belong to him. He is the owner of that number. And it belongs to every man and every woman who comes underneath his dominion. That's 666. That is the mark of the beast. Again, not meant to be some scary thing, but it's simply meant to say, don't be, don't, don't be foolish with this, this number. It's not about beasts and critters. It's about human beings who are underneath the dominion of the dragon who, who literally owns them. And I think it's right that John at the end of this says, have wisdom. Live above the thinking of this world. See what's going on and ask this question. Every person that you meet, every single person that you meet, if you could see it spiritually, every single person is marked with one of two things. 666, I belong to Satan. Or, you're marked with the name of the Father and the Son. I belong to Jesus Christ. We can't see that physically, 
But every person I meet, that's my question is, do you belong to Jesus Christ or do you belong to Satan? Because literally, those are the only two things you can belong to. You either belong to one or the other. It has nothing to do with denominations, religions, none of it. You literally belong, you are owned by, spiritually, either Jesus Christ or Satan. And it's why um, when, we, when we read the epistles, Paul, Peter are very strong at saying, here is the work of the church, is to ask the question, to whom do you belong? And to do what? To help people see, if you're a slave to Satan, 666, there's someone who spent his blood to purchase you and make you his slave. His name is Jesus Christ. And when you become his slave, you become free. I'll close with this. Do you know what Paul's favorite self-designation was? Jesus' calling card, his business card, always said this, Jesus Christ, huyasaner. Jesus Christ, son of man. He's telling people who he is. I'm the one that was foretold all the way back in Daniel who came to set people free. St. Paul, his calling card, whenever he handed out, the whenever he refers to himself, this is the word that he uses. Doulos, Jesu Christi. Doulos literally translates slave of Jesus Christ. So every single person that Paul met, and they would say to him, what do you do? Well, you know what he did. He was a tent maker, right? Called by God as an apostle. Every single person he met, they would say, who are you? He'd say, I am a slave to Jesus Christ. Why does he say that? Because you're a slave to one of two things. Either Jesus Christ or Satan. There's no in-between. There's no Methodist, Catholic, um, Islamic, Buddhist. There's none of that. In the spiritual domain, there's two things. Jesus Christ or Satan, whose mark do you wear? That is what John is trying to say to the world today. All right, we'll uh, contrast that with uh, the Lamb and his angels. Chapter 14 takes us then into, okay, if we see this horror that's going on, how does it all end? And it takes us once again to the very end of the world and with some beautiful, beautiful symbols, uh, what we're given is confidence to stand firm on the promises of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God.